0: Thank you, Joseph, for uh, reading that scripture for us. I think Carl Stevenson always breathes a little easier when he sees that I bring my own water up because then he knows he can relax. He doesn't have to worry about getting me a cup of water, which you can all hear may be needed today. There used to be a TV show called uh, Undercover Boss. Anybody here watched it on occasion? Quite a few hands going up. Uh, I've actually rarely watched it myself. I may have clicked on it a few times briefly, but if I understand, uh, then on this show, you have this uh, wealthy owner, typically, of a big company, and he or she goes undercover. And they hide their identity, and they become a regular employee for a day. And there's these hidden cameras that capture how this new regular employee, who's really their wealthy boss is treated by the existing employees and their supervisors, something along that line. Uh, So in a sense, the main premise of the show is to show how incredibly crazy things can get when you mistake someone's identity. When you assume you know someone, or sometimes you assume you don't know someone, and they are not really that person. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Uh, In either direction where you thought you knew somebody and it turned out it was somebody else, or when somebody approached you and they thought they knew you, uh, and you had no idea who they were and they actually had mistaken your identity. It can get kind of crazy. Uh, Correct identity is actually pretty crucial. Uh, Police officers, they will regularly go undercover, they hide their true identity, to find out truth that would never be revealed to them if the people on the other side knew who they really were. So in all directions, we can make huge mistakes in how we treat people when we get their identity wrong. This has become especially crazy in the world of online relationships. It's so much easier to convince people that you are someone that you are really not when you are in an online relationship can actually uh, range, obviously, from relatively innocent practical jokes to to the extremely dangerous and serious. Just this past week, there was a high-profile court case in B.C. Some of you may be aware of it, resulted in the sentencing of Amanda Todd's online tormentor. Amanda Todd was 15 years old when she died 10 years ago by suicide after being tormented by a 30-year-old male from the Netherlands, who began by convincing her that he was somebody that he was not. Knowing someone's true identity, crazy important. (laughs) I have a pastor friend, who obviously doesn't always think things through very carefully. He went up to somebody in a doctor's office recently. He was sure this person was the now somewhat famous uh, Dancing Gabe. Apparently, this guy looked just like him. And he goes up to this person in the doctor's office and asks him, Hey, are you Dancing Gabe? Well, Dancing Gabe is somewhat famous by now in the Winnipeg and surrounding world, but he's famous because he uninhibitedly dances at Winnipeg sports games, largely because he is not inhibited because he has autism. He's now quite a bit older, like me, a little bit overweight, maybe like me also, but he still does his dancing thing at all Winnipeg sports games. So here's my pastor friend. He goes up to this random person and asks him, hey, are you dancing, Gabe? And the guy looks at him and goes, "Uh, no. How do you recover from something like that? I was wondering, like, did it ever cross your mind that this could go wrong? I don't know, what do, you, what do you say? Well, you sure look like him, or could have fooled me. I, I'm not sure. It doesn't seem like there's any way of properly recovering. It's very important not to get the other person's identification wrong. The consequences, of course, can vary. It can be very funny. It can be very embarrassing. It can also be downright tragic, actually. Um... People have been wrongfully convicted and spent years in prison because of wrongful identity. Murders have happened because of wrongful identity. Children have been raised by the wrong parents because of incorrect identity. Wrong medications have been given because of incorrect identity. Dates have happened and even marriages have happened because of wrong identity. On and on and on. I've probably sufficiently made my point. Oh, but I should actually tell you, this uh, dancing Gabe thing. Uh, the funny thing for me was that I actually know both of these people, but they didn't know the, each other. Uh, I know the one who was mistakenly seen as Dancing Gabe, and I also know the one who did the mistaken identity thing. And so I've been told this story, and I know both of these people, but they actually don't know each other. It's a funny thing for me. Uh, let's transition. Let's transition. But hang on to this truth. Getting someone's identity correct is crucial in order to respond correctly or treat somebody correctly. Hang on to that truth. Thank you, Joseph, for reading the first 11 verses of John chapter 10. It's actually a pretty amazing chapter. I put it into the uh, online bulletin. That only came out yesterday, and some people lament that when we put a, a Scripture passage in there, it only comes out one day ahead of time. So, here's your little warning, or your little helpful hint. Uh, Jesse will be in John chapter 10 again next week, because there's actually two I am sayings of Jesus in John chapter 10. And so, uh, and so read John chapter 10 in its entirety between now and next week, and you'll be well prepared for the message for next week, let me quickly remind you again. Uh, John, who is of course the one who writes the gospel story of John, sometimes we need to get the timing right. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to help us um, kind of capture um, the situation a little bit better. So let me just remind you quickly again. John writes this account of the story of Jesus about 50 to 60 years after Jesus has already gone back to heaven. So there's already an established church, and the established church already has some strengths and weaknesses, and some struggles and some questions and some doubts, and John is now a very, very senior man, And he believes it would be helpful if he would write another account of the story of Jesus in which he would specifically highlight those aspects of the story of Jesus that would speak to the churches, their then-modern-day church, their main struggle or their main doubt, which was, was this historical Jesus that lived 50 to 60 years ago was he really God? It's unique because that was actually the question when Jesus was around. It was still a main question 50 or 60 years later. And I actually think it's still a pretty significant question in the world. Even in churches. We, I, sometimes wonder. Was Jesus really God, was the historical Jesus really God's son? One of the biggest questions that humanity has been plagued with. And so John writes this account of the gospel story um, specifically to highlight those parts of the story of Jesus, of the life of Jesus, that would help to answer this question. Who is or what is the true identity of Jesus? And if we go back to my illustration at the beginning, you can, you can understand how in this case, again, it is crazy critical that we get the true identity of Jesus correct. Um, As much as it's important when you're approaching somebody and asking if they're dancing Gabe or not, as much as it's important if possibly your rich boss might be your fellow employee for the day, or on social media, or a criminal, or a hospital patient, as important as all of those are, I would argue that getting the true identity of Jesus correct is the most important of all. We need to get the true identity of Jesus nailed down because the implications of getting this right or wrong are huge. So we've already looked at John's recorded stories of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then where he makes the claim, I am the light of the world, two weeks ago. And so, here now, we are into John chapter 10. And like I already mentioned, there's two I am claims or statements that Jesus makes here in John chapter 10, kind of in close succession. One of them actually seems to be a little bit spontaneous. Uh, That's the one we're going to look at today. And maybe... Primarily factual. Uh, next Sunday, Jesse's going to be speaking about, I am the good shepherd. And actually, I think that's by far the more intentional teaching statement of Jesus in this chapter. And I'm a little bit jealous of Jesse uh, because I actually like that statement much better than the one that I'm going to be speaking about this morning. Uh, because that good shepherd one sends much more warm, fuzzy vibes. You know, talking about how well the shepherd knows his sheep and how he walks in front of them and how they know him and how they follow him and they know his voice and he takes them to pasture and sits with them for the day. I mean, that gets pretty warm and fuzzy and it makes us feel good. And, and I'd love to uh, have Jesse's job for next Sunday morning. But that's his task. He's going there. Um, I get to speak about the other statement. Where Jesus says, I am, (coughs) I am the gate. Nothing very warm and fuzzy about that. A gate. Hmm. What do we know about a gate? In the world that I came from, you open it and close it and it keeps livestock in or out. Depending if you want them in or if you want them out. Oh, and maybe not just livestock, but maybe... People also, or, or are people livestock? Not totally sure they're livestock. Regardless, nothing very warm and fuzzy about a gate. Uh, maybe that's kind of intentional, actually. Maybe Jesus makes two I am statements in close succession because he knows that there's a wide variety of people out there, and there are some people that like, that connect best with warm and fuzzy. Uh, It works best for them to understand something. And and then there's some people, they just like it factual. I mean, just say it. And uh, say it the way it is. Give me the facts. I get it. I'll move on. I'll adjust accordingly. So this gate statement, I'm going to say, is a bit more like that. It's a bit more that simple factual statement about the identity of Jesus, who he is and what he came for. Uh, and as much as it may not be that warm and fuzzy, I'm going to argue that this gate analogy is actually pretty crucial in helping us to get the identity of Jesus. So you heard it. Jesus said, I am the gate. What's he say? Leads up to this little dialogue, or leading up to this is uh, an ongoing series of situations. If you look in John chapter 6 to 9, before chapter 10, where we are this morning, um, there's kind of an ongoing series of situations where Jesus is, is slowly unveiling his identity to the religious leaders, and the rest of the people for that matter, and they are struggling to digest what he's saying. And ultimately, when they do kind of understand, they don't like it. They don't like who he is claiming to be because it threatens them and it threatens their system and they actually begin to look for ways to silence this threatening message. We need to get rid of this message that's threatening our system, our way of doing things. That's chapter six to nine and then we come to this chapter 10 and Jesus begins this little speech about the with, with this little statement about robbers and thieves. Jesus was a little provocative sometimes, in, in, in the provoking people sometimes. And here's another one of those situations, because he's being pretty blunt. He's clearly implying that the religious leaders of the day and their system, they are the thieves and the robbers. They are the ones that are coming in the back door and trying to get the sheep to follow them for their own selfish gain. And he, on the other hand, is the true shepherd. I mean, it, off the cuff, it does seem a little provoking. Seems a little, could have been misunderstood to be arrogant. And as he begins to speak about the sheep and the shepherd and the, and the shepherd leading the sheep out of the pen through the gate, uh, suddenly almost as if it's kind of a side note, almost as if it kind of grabs his attention in the middle of him talking. He goes, oh, and by the way, I am also the gate. Uh, that's, that's the way the structure is set up here. His, it seems as though his intent was to speak about being the shepherd next Sunday. And then as he begins that explanation, uh, he's talking about the pen and stuff, and all of a sudden, oh, and by the way, I'm also the gate. And then he goes into this short little explanation of how his identity is illustrated by this gate. I am the way into the pen, the only way into the pen. All of your rules and systems and bloodlines and rituals and sacrifices, none of that will get you into the true sheep pen. I am the gate. Only through me do you get into this sheep pen. And Jesus makes this factual claim when he identifies himself as the gate. It's probably still one of the greatest sore points with our world. Really, Jesus is the gate? The only gate? The only way into the sheep pen? How can it be so exclusive? I struggle with this myself, I'll be honest. I actually don't think exclusive is quite the right word. See, the word exclusive means that you are intentionally not allowing some people to come and be part of the party. And and let's be honest, Jesus does invite everyone to come and enter the pen via this gate. It's actually another thing that he's accused of during his life, vehemently by the religious leaders, is how inclusive he was. I will be honest. I firmly believe Jesus is the gate. I firmly believe that Jesus is the only gate. However, where I'm not quite as convinced is what exactly that means and how exactly that will work itself out in the end. See, I actually think that at times, evangelical Christianity, us included we have erred almost in exactly the same way as the religious leaders did in that day. Where we have come up with a blueprint of what walking through the gate has to look like and sound like. And we have narrowed it down to a system and to certain words and the right terminology and the right lifestyle, maybe the right denomination, and in our enthusiasm to bring as many people as possible through the gate and in our need to know who is and who is not already in the pen, we come up with formulas and words and actions and activities, and you get that all right, and you're in. And we forget that Jesus says, He is the gate. A little further down, Jesus makes a statement past the section that Joseph read, verse 16, Jesus makes a statement about his inclusivity that was crazy revolutionary for those people. And long ago, I circled it in my Bible, I think as a teenager, and I put a question mark beside it. A question mark that I don't think Jesus actually wants me to have a definitive answer for. Listen to what he says, chapter 10, verse 16. In the context of speaking about the sheep pen and his claims that he is the gate, this is what he says. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Underlined in my Bible with a big question mark beside it. I don't think we are asked, maybe I can even say given permission, to decide who those sheep are and who they aren't. Just know that the gate is the only way into the pen. But also know that the pen will include sheep that many don't think belong on the inside. I am the gate and the gate is essential for salvation. Secondly, the gate is essential for true safety. In fact, some translators would say the correct translation of the word saved, here in verse 9, should actually read, be kept safe. Uh, And then it would read like this, I am the gate, whoever enters through me Will be kept safe. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The word picture is that of obedient sheep. Uh, See, the sheep that enter through the gate and exit through the gate are the ones that are safe and can enjoy good pasture because the shepherd is good. He wants to make sure his sheep are well cared for. It's to everyone's benefit if they are led to nice pasture during the day and if they are kept safe at night. Those sheep who are either stolen by the robbers, somehow taken out of the pen some other way than through the gate, or those sheep that decide to leave the sheep pen by climbing through the bushes or over the rocks, those sheep lose the protection of their shepherd. I think it's fair to make the present-day connection to rebellion. So often, those who decide to rebel whose main aim it is to make sure that I prove that I do not need to listen to what anyone else tells me to do, I will do it my way, those very same people often end up doing things that they don't actually even really want to do, that are actually not the best for them. But because the only way to prove that I don't have to listen to anyone is to make sure that I do the opposite of what I'm being told to do, even if that is not good for me, and even if I wouldn't actually choose that for myself, if I were making a completely objective decision, I have to make that decision in order to prove that nobody can tell me what to do. And they perceive the pen or the gate to be about control rather than protection. And I'd like to encourage you to kind of keep those two words in mind. Um, Is the gate about control or is it about protection? And I've often seen people who perceive it to be primarily about control. And that is when we need to somehow rebel against this control. And it's sad because I've witnessed person after person who is going to show the world how to live free and not be told by anyone what they can and cannot do and they end up being more enslaved and more dependent on others than anyone else. I'm thinking of all kinds of addictions and the complications of free and open sexual relations and on and on and on. So many have misinterpreted the pen to be a form of control rather than a form of safety. And if we can somehow help it, first of all, convince yourself, but then also to somehow help other people understand that it is about their safety and not about someone else exercising control over them. The gate is essential for true safety. I think we actually all struggle with this at some level. Seems like humanity right now, we kind of have a a default position in our way of thinking, maybe not totally unmerited, but I think it's a problem. We have a default position in our way of thinking that causes us to be very suspicious. Suspicious of everybody who's trying to exercise control over me. Suspicious of everybody who's going to take advantage of me. I wanna assure you, (coughs) excuse me, this gate is there for your protection not for control. Some historians would say that often in a sheep pen of that day, uh, they didn't even include a physical gate. But rather this watchman that is mentioned here in chapter 10, verse 3, actually himself became the gate. All the shepherds would bring their sheep to this community pen for night, and this watchman would sit down across the opening of the pen... And essentially, he himself would be the gate. And then the same shepherds would come back in the morning, call their sheep, and the watchman would step aside and let the given shepherd lead his sheep out to pasture for the day. Some historians would say that Jesus was implying here that he is that watchman. He is the one sitting in the gateway. He himself is the gate ensuring that no harm comes on the sheep during the night or during the day, in a sense, because he makes sure that it's the right shepherd that gets to take or lead out the right sheep at the beginning of the day. So the gate is essential for your protection. And then finally, the gate is essential for abundant life. I love chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The gate has come. The gate is there so that you can have life and have it to the full. In some ways, it kind of continues this protection theme that we've just been talking about already. There's a very intentional contrast here. Between the ones that come for their own selfish gain, to steal and kill and destroy. And in stark contrast, the one that comes to bring life. And not just bare bones survival, but abundant, full, complete life. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Again, you could in some ways say that Jesus is being a little harsh. The clear implication, again, is that the religious leaders of their day are the robbers and the thieves. Those that were supposed to be the shepherds for the people of Israel, those who were supposed to be caring for them, feeding them, pointing them to true spiritual life in God, those were instead threatening and intimidating and harassing and and exercising control and manipulation, all for their own selfish gain. Those are the thieves and the robbers, killing and destroying and stealing. have to be honest, there are times when I wonder whether some of us church leaders are tempted to be thieves and robbers. To rather than care for and feed and point them to true spiritual life and God, instead there's been threatening and intimidating and harassing and Exercising control and manipulation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Our job is to feed, care for, be shepherds, not thieves and robbers. On the flip side, enter and exit the sheep pen through the gate, recognizing that the gate is there for your protection, to give you life. And you will have life and you will have it abundantly. I know that not everything about the Christian life is roses. I know that things can get tough. I know that the challenges of life here on earth can often feel like they are robbing us of true life, and oftentimes they are. Those too are thieves and robbers. And thieves and robbers are still alive and well in many different forms. But I also know that the intent of your Heavenly Father is to bring life and to bring it abundantly. And I know that the gate is intended to bring life, not to destroy it. That may mean that we need to continue to grow in our understanding of what Jesus is really all about. And I encourage you to keep searching, keep reading God's Word, keep talking to Him, keep listening to His Holy Spirit. Commit to living your life for him. Keep on trusting and following. And you will have life. And have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the gate. Essential for salvation. Essential for protection. And I'm going to say essential for life. Abundant life. And Jesse would say, amen.